Brennan here, with a quick show note here at the top. There's some strong language throughout this episode, but given the present state of things, is that really your biggest concern? Well, it makes me think about, like, scenes from Catch-22 or Gravity's Rainbow or something, you know, that mm-hmm. in the middle of the nightmare, there's people who are having a great time. And, oh, no. Did something happen? Something was spilled. Oh, no. Already? Well, the night is young. I know, and this carpet has a lot more it can absorb. Now, this is how 28 Days Later started. Something got spilled. <laughs> Welcome to the well. I am Brandon Edgens, and Anson is not here. He'll join us in a moment. In today's episode, we're going back to a simpler time, a long time ago, when we were younger, more naive, more sober, all the way back to March of 2020, when we interviewed actor, producer, and director Leon Inglesrud, a return guest from our very popular Martini Samurai episode from a few years back. This episode was finished a long time ago, but we elected not to publish it at the time because we felt it was too light and frivolous for what was, at the time, the beginning of the pandemic, which had recently hit us in New York first, and therefore especially hard. And now, eight months later, well, things have gotten even crazier and more tense in this country, so now we figured it was a great time to publish something lighter and a little frivolous because... We all need the distraction. So once again, let's make some drinks with Leon. You you guys are totally demonstrating the the point of what's happening in the world right now because I'm by myself and I'm fine and everything's working. And (laughs) you you guys are close together and you have all these problems. So it's like Oh, (laughs) you don't know the half of it, Leon. I've run out of spaces to hide in. It's uh, we're we're overwhelmed here at the Mount household. We got we got seven adults, a baby, a three dogs, a cat, and six chickens. And a human so baby. Right now we're we're a human baby hiding wow. in in the sunroom. Uh, you're gonna hear our wives and friends in in the living room laughing and joking, and it'll it'll hear more of it as they drink more. Yeah. Well, there's there's um, only one other. Um, there's a, a wife that lives here, and you may hear her depending on how how drunk she gets in the other room. But um, <laughs> she, well, that's the reason that we wanted to do this episode. She's is on her own. We yeah. we keep um, looking at this current lockdown situation from different facets, and mm-hmm. one facet you can't get away from is that. It has afforded a lot of people a lot of drinking time, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. for better or worse. Uh, but in order to help people along with that, uh, we asked you, Leon, to commission mm-hmm. us another martini. Uh, yeah. But before we get to that, could we ask you how you doing? I'm I'm doing relatively good. Um, well, there's actually there's there's no two ways about it. I'm fantastic. Because I'm in Manhattan, and my health is fine, and that is not um, 
that is something to be profoundly grateful for right now. And the, the thing that I know, I know it intellectually and I can feel it in little tiny bits and pieces is that I am blocks away from horrendous nightmares. And, you know, I live quite near Columbia Presbyterian uh, hospital and, you know, there's this eerie quiet and a sense that just past those walls, there's tragedy and horrible pain and all this stuff happening. And I'm worrying about bullshit. You know, mm-hmm. my, my, my biggest problems are, you know, trying to figure out the best way to maximize my um, loadout in Skyrim. You know, and, and how many, like, do I really want to take this dwarven war axe on this next dungeon? You know, like, that's, that's my big problem. Like, you know, and, well, I mean, that's, that's a little bit flip because, because I'm also helping uh, run a, a theater company and we're trying to figure out what the hell to do um, in all this. And there's some massive adjustments that we have to make and and those things are real but nobody's nobody's dying you know and you i have to take the news in tiny bits i'm my media consumption has gone way down simply because i have to ration it but even with the little bits that i get it's really clear that you're either you're it's it's such a weird thing because you're either bored and living in a state of some form of privilege or you're in a screaming horror. Mm -hmm. Well, you were telling me when the proverbial feces hit the fan, your company was in the middle of a rehearsal process. We were actually in the middle of performance. We, we had just, we had just opened the Bacchae at the Guthrie and we were doing a six week run and we, we're literally watching audiences disappear. Like every night Mm -hmm. there were just less and less people. And I remember the morning that the WHO said, this is a global pandemic. And they actually put, put those words on it. And I realized, you know, well, cause, cause the situation was, (laughs) were you like, were you ever like, wait, is this show really bad? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I, I don't know, ego or whatever. We never thought that. <laughs> it never <laughs> occurred to us. But I re- I remember a couple of nights um, having, you know, I have this one big, huge speech in the play as, as, as a messenger. And and I oversalivate a little bit. As, and, and so, there, you know, one of the things that happens from my POV when I'm acting on stage is that I'm watching little flicks sometimes come out of my mouth and arch through the air. And I think like, oh my God, this is like, this is a sanitary hazard for the audience. <laughs> like, I, it used to just be a thing of like distaste, but now it's like, put a hazmat suit on that guy. <laughs> but we were, um, where I'm not supposed to be in New York right now, Absent COVID-19, I would be in Singapore uh, because almost immediately following closing the show in Minnesota, we were going to go to Singapore and start a seven-week process to create and perform a trilingual production of um, 
Chekhov's Three Sisters. And so since about January, I had been saying in the office, saying to our staff, you know, hey, let's start thinking maybe we're not going to Singapore. Just and because I was thinking like like some of the other, you know, like SARS and and MERS and things like that, I thought this could get really bad in Asia. And and I'm a little bit of a pandemic nerd. Um, and, And so, you know, I thought, well, there's a very good chance, actually, that this thing is going to keep us from going to Singapore. And it never occurred to me that it was going to shut down our show in Minnesota, that that we were going to close early and pack up and come home. And that, you know, and I, you know, there's this really famous story from from 1918 um, about um, the contrast between I think it's Philadelphia and Indianapolis and. Philadelphia had this huge parade and, and all of the doctors, I mean, they were talking about social distancing they were saying like, don't do this, cancel the parade. Don't do this. And they had the parade and cases totally spiked. Did the, you know, that they didn't flatten the curve. It overwhelmed the medical system and, you know, hundreds of thousands of people died. Indianapolis strict social distancing. They banned any gatherings more than like five people, shut everything down and they flattened the curve and their medical system survived, you know. And so like I like 1918 is fascinating to me because it's like I don't like to call it the Spanish flu. and We can get into that. But it's like it's what I like to call it is the forgotten flu. Mm. Like we don't think about it. It happened at the same time as World War One, and it all gets balled up into that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know the well, estimates—the estimates of how many people died—is between seventeen and fifty million. Mm-hmm. You know, and right now we're at like two and a quarter worldwide for for COVID. I think mm-hmm. I, I don't know all of this. You know, take all of this with a grain of salt because it's not like I'm a professional in any of this stuff. But it's like. I mean, do you know why it's called the Spanish flu? This is fascinating to me. No. There's there's several theories about where it started and how it got going. Um but but what's what is not disputed is this was it was happening during during the First World War and the first real flare up was in the United States. And in um army camps among soldiers. And then got transported across the Atlantic in troop ships to the British and the French, eventually crossing over the trenches to the Germans. I mean, literally crossing over the trenches. And all of these countries, hot in the middle of World War I, they shut the press down, said, do not talk about this. Mm. We do not want people panicking about a pandemic. We have a war on. We need people concentrating on that. It gets to Spain in a big way. And the reason why it's called the Spanish flu is that Spanish journalists were the first journalists in the world who were allowed to talk about it. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so this whole idea of information control and, and journalistic freedom around pandemics, this is an old story. This is always the case. And like doctors were telling the U S military, you've got to break up these camps. These can't, you know, the camps were like, 
cruise ships. You've got constant, these barracks full of men. You'd get one case in there and it would spread to, you know, however many else. Then they would all get on a ship. By the time they get to England, it's like we're lobbing flu bombs into our allies. Wow. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> again, again, I, I always think I say stuff like this and I think, you know, there's somebody who's listening who knows this shit more than, much better than I do. And they're thinking, <laughs> you've got that totally wrong. You jackass. It's people like you that are causing the information problem. Shut the fuck up. You know, well, it just occurred to me that w- we could be talking about all of these things while we're drinking. Oh, yes. Hey. Uh, so I, I guess Leon, we've 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 arrived at the drinking portion of our program. Okay, so, uh, you are a return guest, and mm. on their on your original episode, the Martini Samurai, mm-hmm. uh, we covered many topics. Last time on the Martini <laughs> Samurai, at the end of the feudal period in Japan. <laughs> um, okay. The alcohol travels down the esophagus. And I do that, that right there. That just sounds sad. And into the stomach. Because there is no other time in my life when I would ever ask you this question because I love you, man. <laughs> <laughs> and he would... I don't know, man. I hadn't talked to her in a long time. Do you have a number? Can we call her right now? Some of it reaches the brain. Shit. I'm like, like that's just, that's like Lord of the Flies. Like, that is so... Leon, get ready. That is so fucked up. Like, you are so... Here it acts as an anesthetic. Are you hearing the wind out there? You, your father did what? What, what, what happened? <laughs> I haven't been to this drunk in a long time. Yeah, me too. Amateurs. You know, when I listened to that episode, you know, we got really drunk. Oh, yeah. Like, like yeah, I think yeah. all, all three of us got really, really drunk. And so I have a drunken memory of that evening. And that episode captures it unbelievably clearly. <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 oh, my God, that is how it felt. <laughs> so, like, I, I was I was very impressed by how well... And it was, and of course, it was much longer than that. It took us much longer to have the experience that you distilled into that. Uh, yes, but this is, but then now this is. Are we going to call this a sequel, a part two, a comeback, a revenge story, <laughs> uh, the reinfection, the reinfection of Martini's temper? I don't know. Well, here, let me let me let me say something about this because when when this first got posited, I realized that. Although I have I have been drinking, that will maybe come as a surprise to no one. Um, I've been drinking mostly wine, um, and partially it's because because there's so much more time. Um, if I was doing martinis all day, I would not be talking to you. You know, so I started thinking about the idea of a drink that was appropriate to this time and to this situation. And so I've invented something that I don't even know if I like it or not. It has a name. Um, and you'll be surprised to hear that it's a, it's an anagram, uh, for COVID-19. Um, it's refer it's, I'm calling it the carefully oscillated, very idiotic drink. (laughs) (laughs) Carefully. I like it. 
So there is a point in this where we are going to carefully oscillate it, which is okay. to, shake, to shake it. Gently, uh-huh. you know? Carefully. So one of the my, – my starting point for this – was a was a couple of things, and uh, one was I was thinking about the visual uh, image of of the coronavirus, and you know that that image of the sphere with the little spiky thing sticking in it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh yes. You know that image. To to me, that looked like an and like a orange or an apple with cloves stuck in it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So I started thinking about cloves and, and it led me to um, this idea. And I started experimenting by infusing, by putting cloves in vodka um, and infusing vodka with clove flavor, which renders a clove flavor that is very, very bitter. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, Oh, that's actually interesting because it's kind of, um, you know, part of my interest in in the uh, martini is its ceremonial uh, qualities, and the idea, you know, in the seder in in Jewish tradition, that you drink, you eat bitter roots to remember the bitterness of the situation. Huh. Mm. You know, and and in going through Passover, and so I thought, well, it'd be inappropriate if this was a froofy drink. You know that that somehow we want to meditate. Uh, not just on the pleasures of the drink, but also on the bitterness of the situation that we're in. So using the 19 from COVID-19, it's a nine to one. <laughs> All right. All so right. it's not, it's, I'm using gin. I think you guys are going to use vodka. Is that correct? We have, we have both. We have the, uh, you told me to soak the cloves in vodka overnight. And we also got uh, some Bombay Sapphire. Okay. Which so I had to go I, out and get because I have not had gin since I saw you. Mm-hmm. Ah. Anson is still convinced that it is the botanicals in the gin that caused the hangover and not the massive amount of ethanol. <laughs> you know, people are going to think what they're going to think. <laughs> <laughs> so using whatever measuring instrument you have, uh, put in nine parts of the gin or vodka. Should I, should I use the the infused? No, uh, no, no, no. Just oh, do you, the gin, yeah. straight gin. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. I have uh, two mason jars in here. If that, I don't have martini glasses, Leon. I'm sorry. That's uh, you know. I figured. I'm a red I figured You wouldn't. So <laughs> I had the redneck it's, version. The mason jars. You're doing nine parts of your 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 straight liquor. Your your gin. Ah. Okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to make a good amount here because we're going to try and share this with some of our friends in the other room. Here we go here. You're going to see in a second that's going to there's going to be a thing that's going to slow it way down. So. So wait. So, okay. So that's the nine parts, Jen. So then, then the one part of the clove, clove infused, infused vodka. Infused vodka. Okay, yeah. Right. So then when you've got that, then then you want to, as the name implies, you want to carefully oscillate this now. Okay, with ice, I assume. Yes. Okay, let me get some ice here. Okay, great. Can't do that enough, but great. <laughs> <laughs> Were you able to get cocktail cherries? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so put... W- 
Um, put some in the glass. Okay. Or mason jar, as it were. All right. Yes, we don't have... Since you didn't bring all of your fancy accoutrements over, now we've got you know. mason jars and metal canteens. So the cherries are also, again, sort of to put a focus in there that, that reminds me of the shape of the, the virus again. Ah, okay. ah, okay. Yeah. Also, because the drink is a little bit on the bitter side, to, right. have, a, to have a sweet little something right. at the yeah. end. That makes sense. Whether that's, you know, the sweet kiss of oblivion or relief, you know, I don't know. And then uh, the tonic. Uh-huh. And put that in the glass, the tonic. Put that in put that in the glass. Um you're dealing with mason jars, so so you want to be careful of how much. Um I'm I'm putting it into a martini glass here and I'm leaving like half an inch at the top. Okay. Let's see your glass when you pour it. So you've got a glass of cherry with tonic water. Mm-hmm. And then into this, you're going to pour from the shaker. Okay. Gotcha. But not but not very much. So probably like another, yeah, like a, a fifth. And it's done. That's, that's, the, that's the drink. And, and also, there's a yet another um, COVID uh, reminder in here. Uh, mm-hmm. The tonic with the quinine is now this is an this offshoot is, of that this, is now controversial therapy, right? Th- this is precisely my thought mm-hmm. that the that, that, that quinine was uh, popular in the British Empire because of malaria. Mm-hmm. Okay, shall we shall we try this and all right? See, okay, to you, Leon, to you. Oh, yeah. Whoa. That I think works. You got something here. That works nicely. I like I like how distinct the bitterness and the sweetness both are. Mm. They're both. I get a I get a very wide spectrum. Yeah, and and the clove is a little bit clingy. Mm-hmm. In, in, yeah. In what in wine talk you would say it has a long tail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So as you're sitting there, it kind of. You know, which is sort of like my experience right now is that as you're sitting there, it just gets bitter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you know, the fact that the British Empire had this huge problem with malaria all over the world, but they were starting to distribute that and they couldn't get people to take it. Like, because mm-hmm. they couldn't get people to take it seriously. And so it was only when they mixed it with, like, seltzer or whatever else they mixed it with and made tonic water. You know, but it's called tonic water because it's medicine. Mm-hmm. So it's literally drinking cough syrup. Yeah. And and um, gin and tonic is one of my only other ways of drinking gin aside from martinis. Oh, I love gin and tonic. So, so this is caref- this is, of course, closely related to a gin and tonic. It's essentially a gin and tonic op. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the British, it, for some reason, used, used to call it gin and it. Really? Why. Yeah, gin and it. That was how they would order it back in, I guess, when they were in, in, back when they were in India and walking on the wrong side of the street. And should we uh, get somebody else in here and uh, get get another opinion yeah, on sure. this? No qu- quarantine. Did you quarantine? Let me let me uh, unplug this. 
the problem with Quarantini is that Quarantini is like if you look up Quarantini on the internet, you get like seven billion hits. Like everything now is being called a Quarantini. Aww. Sorry, Sharon. So yeah, it, <laughs> it's it's it it's a, a good thought, w. but <laughs> huh? I, I didn't hear what she said. What did she say? I said, what if you spelled it with a KW? You know, that's worked before. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna pour this okay, for so you. Come in. K, K, uh, KK and Kevin, we have a, we have a whole bench, you, a literal bench of testers. Do you guys want to try this? You will need to go get your own glass. Hi, Leon. Hello. It's KK. Hey, KK. How are you doing? Good. Could you pass me that? Very much so, yes. Yeah, I'm sorry I can't do gin, but I will try this vodka. You can see him. Oh, he's right oh, there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can he see me? Hello. You had to put your... You're upside down now. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Hello. Do you want to turn it around? <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> so he can see the panel of oh, esteemed oh, guests. Oh, yes, sure. Well, we esteemed. <laughs> okay, so so what's what's going on with, with El Martini? It's the carefully oscillated, very idiotic drink, 19. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Sold. And it rolls off the tongue so beautifully, right. Leon. Yeah. I'm supposed to be in Singapore doing Chekhov right now. Oh, my oh. God. Yeah, yeah. My, I found out my, my, my show got canceled, too. Oh. Life, life, you know? Ah. Hey, Dara. Hi. Hey. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm happy and grateful to be here. Thank you, Anson, for saving us and bringing in the refugees, you know. But yes. <laughs> we, we, were, we, we go for a walk every day. And, and yesterday we walked by this couple and, and the, the dad had a baby in a kind of, I don't know what it is, a baby Bjorn or whatever. So strapped to his chest, looking forward. And the the mom and dad both had masks on and the baby didn't. And, I, and I, we passed by them and, and I, I turned to Akio and I said, that looked like a human shield. <laughs> Sorry. Like, it totally looked like they had the baby up. It's like, take the baby, take the baby. <laughs> like, well, it's funny. I keep saying to Kevin, I'm like, because I know the mandatory mask thing came in on Friday. And I was saying to him, like, how do we do that with Wiley? Like, you know, I even like bought a, a mini bandana, like a baby bandana that can hopefully like at least go around his face. Like, you can't do that with a kid, you know, like you, you just, you're just, just constantly shielding them from everything. You just, thing. you want a onesie with a hood with just eye holes. Yeah. Oh. You know, it's like a ski mask sewn exactly, onto it. It's exactly. like the only thing sticking out of the eye. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh, and then he you. puts goggles on it or something. That's right. You know? That's right. Yeah. That's Cheers, right. Glass. Cheers, sir. Cheers. We're gonna give Cheers. it a taste. We're giving it a taste. Cheers. 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 Mm. Mm. I like mine. Mm, I like mine too. I I Delightful. cheated and had a little sip beforehand was and was holding my opinions, but I really. <laughs> <had> <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Are you, you I have vodka. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, taste yeah, the yeah. bitterness? I do. Yeah. I do, but it's not overpowering. It's nice. But how about COVID teeny? Oh, yeah. COVID teeny, Ooh, yeah. Nice. You've already got the COVID 19 That's it. <laughs> 19 Yeah, that's not bad. There, that's there we cute. go. COVID <laughs> I think keeping our spirits up in this time is like vital and life saving. And a huge part of my job right now 
is attending to the emotional well-being of my partner. Like that's like the, you have to do that. That's job one. You know, I mean, and to do that, you have to put your oxygen mask on first. You have to make sure you're okay. But that that's that's okay. But then beyond that, it's like I'm hesitant to you know put something um, out in the world that makes light of this thing, you know, because I'm not dying, and and I could be tomorrow, you know, and the people that are are literally yards from me. And, and it's like, it's so, that's always been true. You know, that has always been true. And as a cisgendered white straight guy, like I know that I get insulated from a lot of that historically, but like at a time like this, we really do have to sort of look at what is it that we could do better fundamentally I don't know. I'm well, I think I think like you know, my my only comparison to it, of course, is New Zealand, which has been doing a fabulous job, you know. And I think a lot of it, yeah, a lot of it is, you know, we have a, a, an amazing prime minister who's taking she's all the fantastic. steps. She's gone above and beyond, and she's thought outside of the box, and she's done things, and she's acted quickly. And it's a smaller country and a smaller culture, but I think fundamentally, what what sets it apart and makes it actually work is the fact that you deal with a culture that that to this point trusts and puts their faith in the administration in a, in the way that you just don't have in this country and you haven't had in this country so when you have whatever you know whatever that's put out there in terms of safe and healthy um, being safe and healthy you have you know half the population who's willing to to have faith and believe and be optimistic and then you have the other half that's constantly like falling into conspiracy theory perspectives that don't trust don't believe don't don't you know don't give a shit have this like you know freedom of speech and blah 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 mentality and it's hard to wrangle that that a culture like that you know that's i think why we're in the mess and there goes half our listeners (laughs) (laughs) you know kk if you like this country you can get out sorry (laughs) oh great why aren't you there If you can tell from her accent, people, <laughs> that she ain't from here. No, it, it, it makes me think that, like, you know, the thing she said a couple of weeks ago um, about the tooth fairy is an essential worker, you know, and she was talking. She was talking to kids, you know. That's right. But she, she was also cushioning the blow for parents who have to deal exactly. with it on a daily basis. She was thinking it, outside it, of it, the box. And it made me. It made me think like compassion and empathy takes creativity. It's 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 a creative act, and it takes imagination. Yeah, and you, and you have and to it, be. You have to have the cap the the capability to be empath empathic to be able to 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 think that way. You know. And right now you're dealing with a pandemic. This is a kind of war this world has this at this time in our generation have never experienced before. All you all we really have is compassion for each other, you know. And if you don't have it from the top, then it's hard to muscle through. And we have all of these people who are equating our lives with the economy. And I and I don't want to minimize like economic pain. And and the catastrophe of economic collapse, but we are not our economy. 
you know, that, that economies come and go. Life is a different thing. And, and why the thing about this that cuts to the bone is that this is biological and, and does not, it, it, you know, it has no ideology. It has no economic agenda. It's biological. And, and so this is literally a tiger jumping out of the bush. But we have to remember, you know, that, that we either live in New York or near New York. And uh, I've recently been getting calls just in the past couple of days from several friends asking me what I think about, quote, this whole situation. Um, I think because there's something out there now in the zeitgeist that's wondering if we're if we're taking this too seriously, mm-hmm. um, because nobody else like the, the majority of the country is not in a hot spot yet. And it hasn't rolled out yet. And, and so like, you know, I look at the difference between my rural County here where we've lost upwards of 50 people, including a six month old baby. And then I look at my County. I grew up on who's lost no one yet. And the, the differences there in experience are stark. Uh, And, and so uh, I can understand why people are wondering if it's being, being taken, you know, too seriously right now in our culture we valorize um a military special forces team that that goes in and stops the terrorist before they get to the united states you know and there's this idea of if i kill these people here that somehow that is saving small town america and small town america can sleep well we don't valorize the epidemiologists who have been fighting this thing not COVID-19, but an, a global pandemic. They have been fighting it in very real terms every single year. They, this is day in, day out. This one broke through. Well, the irony this is, is that through. like the better they do their jobs, the more it seems like they're overreacting. That's right. That's right. So That's know, right. maybe it wasn't such a big deal or overblown or like, you know, just panicking for no reason. And nine and nine eleven somehow allowed us to imagine that yes, going to a foreign country and blowing up people with drones is right because that saves me in some way. I mean, to put a positive spin on it, and yet we're we're unable to connect with the fact that this won't hit you till it hits you unless you actually imagine it, unless you actually think through that when it hits you, it's too late. Like at, at that point, the steps you want to take are, it's too late. And, and I really, th- you know, I'm like, I tend politically to lean democratic, but I think like if Hillary Clinton had been president when this happened and she had tried to shut the country down and enforce social distancing in January, like it wouldn't have worked. Like nobody would have done it. To a certain extent, like we had to get bruised by it, which is a strange word to use, but it had to hurt us to a certain degree for us to take it seriously. Yeah, for it to feel real. Yeah, and and also Americans don't really ever do anything until they're panicked. That's right. And that's a terrible quality. Yeah, especially with a disease that the the knock-on effects and the actual outcomes take a week or two to show up Mm -hmm. before from the cause, right? So there's this constant lag effect 
where it's like anything that happens that's going to happen bad happened already two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We just didn't know about it. That's right. And anything good that we do doesn't have an effect until two weeks or so from now. So it's like that living that abstract concept life mm-hmm. is really, really hard for some people. And it's very difficult for a lot of people in this country to take experts' word for it, to take scientists' word for it. And and be, and partially that's because experts and scientists have sometimes been irresponsible and and they're flawed. They're human beings. But the other part of it is they they, they haven't been given the, the credit or support that they've needed at times, you know? Yeah. Trevor Noah was talking about this the other night that that, you know, these coalitions of states that are forming. And he had this, you know, wild and crazy idea of what if all of the states had some kind of coalition where they were the joined states of something and, <laughs> and that there was some sort of organization that was formed out of all of them that looked out for the best interests of everybody. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't the United States of America until after the Civil War. So that was the the, the trauma that made us realize, you know, like, ah, we shouldn't do that again. Let's Let's call it. Let's, I think we should really like come up with a new name for ourselves that emphasizes the fact that we need each other. Because th- it's strange we take it for granted now, but before, and it's kind of why the Civil War happened. There was a much more open debate about whether or not it was all going to be underneath one federal government or not. And there's yeah. some you know people out there who you know still are carrying on that that debate. <laughs> But now they're just, you know, they're they're a fringe element and they're they're weirdos and stuff. But that used to be kind of a mainstream thought. So when the South seceded, it was not or tried to secede, it was not 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 as crazy a notion then as it is now. And yeah. it was yeah. afterwards that we really started thinking, let's not do that again. Let's be the United States of America. Because before that, I think we were the Federated or the Confederated States of America or something. I can't remember. I'm getting that part wrong. I'm making that part up, people at home. I'm making stuff up. <laughs> but, <laughs> the informal gathering of states? I don't remember what it was called. I, I can't shake this thing, though, that like I went through 9-11 with, with W, you know, and now I'm going through this with Trump. It's like, why do we have to go through these moments with dingbats? I mean, what... Why can't we go through one of these with somebody with like vision and articulation and a, and I mean, can you imagine what would happen if we had FDR right now or something? Did you see like, this? Um, did you did you see this uh, back in 2017? Just about four or five months into the Trump presidency, someone with money, I believe in Texas, uh, bought time on a, a billboard. And put up a put up a billboard that had a. It was just a picture of George W. Bush doing finger guns, and the caption was, "Miss me yet?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the most meaningful parts of my day right now is that at seven o'clock every night, we we all go nuts and and Akio and I go out to one of our windows and we have little noisemakers and we shake them and we scream like idiots yeah <laughs> and and somebody in my building i don't know who it is but somebody's got their speakers turned out their windows and they play new york new york every night oh my god and 
And, you know, Akiko's like, she's trying to learn the words because she wants to sing along. Oh, it's know? awesome. It's awesome. And it's not just that it's meaningful. It's that, like, it gets to be 7 o'clock and whatever I'm doing, I drop it and I run to the window. And it's like, for the first time in my life, I'm understanding religious urgency. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Like, I know why I'm doing that. You know, I know who I'm thanking. And you know that, that, that they appreciate it. You know that they're exactly so. the, the people that would appreciate it. You know, but a like simple that, gesture like that would mean yeah. everything to them. But like out the window that I'm facing out, you know, I can't see anybody. <laughs> and so it's out into the void. I might as well be, you know, in a cathedral or something. <laughs> I have a friend who is like uh, kind of being, you know, negative and saying, oh, you know, the worst workers can't hear you. It's just kind of like a self-indulgent act. And I'm like... No, I think it's uh, a very important act to practice gratitude, you know, for a minute each day just to practice yeah. gratitude. Yeah. And yeah. if we can do that as a community, that is, you know, if if anything, that is just a, a grounding moment for anybody. Yeah. yeah, it's for everyone, too. It's not just, I mean, it's obvious. I mean, it's for the healthcare workers, but to see, to see your neighbors all out together. That's yeah. that's enormous. That's huge. Yeah. To hear someone playing yeah. that song. And, yeah. And yeah. It has an effect. Yeah. Like you, you, you really feel like you're part of the community. You're not alone, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. like we're mm-hmm. all in it together. I think that's an amazing experience. And it's like, I hear echoes of my father who went through the depression and the second world war and was a missionary and a Lutheran pastor trying to explain to me why we're worshiping, you know, and expressing thanks in the context of Christianity and, and like, I just like, it just doesn't hit me, you know, and this I get, I wonder if it's actually transmissible. Like, do you have to go through something to feel the meaning of it? Because I'm like, literally, I want to grab these people on the street and thank them. It's kind of like the beautiful thing about being a New Yorker, like we're subconsciously mm-hmm. kind of like being mindful of each other. And this is just another example of like, you know, being mindful of the community that you live in and just being a part of something. I don't know. I I, I really enjoy that about being in New York because when I, when the blackout happened, you know, whatever, in 2004 or five, and I remember just walking and it was like a moment when everybody just kind of understood what everybody else was feeling. I feel like in New York City is one of these cities where you can feel vibes kind of like flow through the city. Yeah. So like, totally. you know, when, totally. you know, if you're having a bad day, there's a good chance that like a lot of people yeah. you run into are also having a bad day. <laughs> um, and then good days are also like really, really elated because yeah. you can just feel that energy. Um, mm-hmm. And New York, when crises happen, you know, everyone kind of goes to that place where like, oh, we are all in this together. Mm-hmm. It's like even a... A single train, but can I break feel down. like yeah. this. But I feel like this. This is like a yes. New York has its own kind of uh, 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 crush, uh, echo, you know. But this is like a global thing, and I and I can't help but think of my dad, who would always say to me, like, you know, you you know, th- this generation, this generation, and, and my generation and below, you know, we we're so spoiled. We we have never really gone through a collective hardship, you know, like mm-hmm. there is, there is a, there is a, a, a collective, um, humble, humbleness and gratitude that, that just, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the world lacks these days mm-hmm. from my generation and below, because we've never really felt a, a collective hardship. And I think for the first time 
our generation, you know, as a whole on this globe Mm -hmm. is feeling a collective hardship. Our cities have never been bombed. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's right. Well, exactly. I mean, I think that's why my parents' generation, because they did flee a, a war-torn right. country. Mm. And as a, you know, a whole community, a whole generation of refugees, there was such a closeness and a camaraderie when they fled, you know, to their respective countries. And yeah, it reverberated throughout their generation. And like we tell our nephews and nieces about it and they're like okay yeah yeah there there was a war like they have no understanding because the generational distancing happens yeah. so quickly that's right that's but right. yeah my parents even to this day they'll see people and be like oh yeah do you remember this refugee camp and you know certain generation they'll totally remember and they'll just they have this like nod this head nod yeah. and they know yeah. exactly what each other went through What started as drinks with friends eventually got a little more serious, which was inevitable and appropriate. The various emerging crises were just too big to ignore. Next time in part two with our check-in with Leon, we discuss the function of art, time, how it moves when you have too much of it, and an audiobook excerpt that will make you forget your troubles, for a short period of time anyway. The Well is produced, edited, and recorded by Anson Mount and me, Brandon Edgens. Special thanks to Leon for joining us, and also to our distinguished panel of friends and family, Sharon Herr, Dara Mount, KK Moggy, and Kevin Cantwell, for keeping us sane while locked down. Music written by Jonathan Myberg and performed by Brandon Edgens. Until next time, stay sane and safe.